0: our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for this opportunity we have to gather around Thy Word. It's so good to, in a, in a changeable world full of fear and uncertainty, as we heard this morning, that we have this rock that we can return to again and again, knowing that not one dot or dash of the law and of the prophets and of the words of Christ and the apostles will ever pass away. They are forever recorded, and uh, will stand while the ages roll on, even though everything that we can see around us will one day pass away. Heavenly Father, be with us now as we would open thy word together. Please bless those that could not gather with us in this afternoon hour. And uh, Heavenly Father, feed us now from thy holy word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. For this afternoon's meditation, I'm going to do something that I do not normally do, which is read a number of passages from different places. But I'd like to begin with uh, John's Gospel, the first chapter, if we can turn there. And I'm going to read and then skip a few verses, starting with the first verse John 1 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. But of God. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. It's right that, at least during the Christmas season, we make much of the incarnation of God. God coming to earth as man. His name given in the Old Testament was Emmanuel, God with us. And this fact was a stumbling block for the Jewish leaders. If you remember, during, uh, slightly before his crucifixion, when they held the trial among the Sanhedrin, uh, the high priest said, I adjure thee by the living God, that thou us plainly, art thou the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus Christ makes a very interesting reference there. He said, I am. And henceforth thou shalt see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power. And at that word, the high priest rent his clothes and said, what further need we have, wit- have, have, have we have witnesses? Ye have heard the blasphemy yourself, what say ye? And they said, crucify him. I may have got a few of the quotes wrong a little bit there, but that was the gist of it. But I don't think we often stop and think about what Christ was really saying there. We understand that God became man. But do we realize and do we recognize that that man is standing now in the very presence of the Heavenly Father as a man on our behalf? Christ did not assume uh, humanity as a mask for a brief time, for some 33 years, and then discard it. He still dwells as a man in the presence of God. I don't think we often think about that. At least I don't often think about that. I think about Christ as being removed, glorified from myself, some celestial being of spirit, and that's wrong. That's not correct. The Bible gives us clear examples, and the same apostle who laid on his breast at that last supper, who heard that divine heartbeat, who was there when he died, who was entrusted with his mother, went to great pains. He was the last recorder of the gospel account. The gospel of John was the final gospel account that was penned, and he made he went to great lengths to make sure that we know he indeed came in the flesh. And if you read his letters later on in the New Testament, you'll see he, this is a point he returns to again and again. And he makes it so crystal clear. He says, for those that say Christ has not come in the flesh, they are antichrist. That's serious. And it matters for us as well. I'd like to turn ahead to... Uh, The Acts of the Apostles. verse uh, chapter 1 verse 2 until the day in which he that's christ was taken up after that he through the holy ghost had given commandment unto the apostles whom he had chosen to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs being seen of them 40 days and speaking of them pertaining to the kingdom of god if you recall also i think it was luke that recorded that as well where when he was taken up the angels said to the disciples you've seen him why are you standing looking up into the heavens as he's gone up from your sight and he was a man that was taken up he had flesh and blood christ himself made, made a point of mentioning that i touch and feel me i have flesh and blood i'm not a spirit he said you're going to see him in like manner return he still has that same glorified body Let's flip ahead to Philippians. Philippians, the second chapter, verse 5. Philippians 2, verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. Notice that those that are bowing to Christ are bowing to him because he took upon himself flesh, suffered the things that he does, and was in turn glorified by God. You see, one of the things that Satan has done a marvelous job of, of, of deception is trying to convince us that our bodies and our flesh are unalterably corrupt. It's true that our bodies are indeed under a curse, and we see as we get older, we get weaker, there are imperfections in our bodies, disease sets in. But that was never the plan from God. His plan was always that there would be a glorified body, that there would be a perfection out of the body, and we, we see the twisted and distorted form of humanity in its fallen state, and we think, how can God deal with this? How can he use this? The answer is, I don't really know. But the Bible tells me that there is coming a day when our bodies will in turn also be glorified like him. Let's turn to First Timothy now, chapter 2. Verse 5, 1 Timothy 2, 5. Listen to this. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. One final passage of Scripture, Hebrews, the second chapter. Here, the writer of Hebrews makes it abundantly clear what exactly is going on. like to begin again at the fifth verse so Hebrews chapter 2 beginning at the fifth verse for unto the angels now angels a good way to think about creation maybe is is this angels are pure spirit they can manifest themselves in in form but they are spirit animals on the other hand are pure flesh they have no spirit within them they'll return to the dust from which they were created But man, man is this fusion, a hybrid of both flesh and spirit that God always intended to be glorified. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says. For unto the angels hath he not put in subjection the world to come whereof we speak. Did you catch that? The world to come is not some mystical spirit world. It is very much a concrete world, a world that we will experience in a glorified form. And we don't know what that looks like yet because everywhere we look, we see the effects of sin in creation. It says that creation groans under this weight of sin. But one day, this will all be perfected. And at times, I, I'm reminded I had the opportunity to fly out to Calgary on business and coming back, you know, I never get tired of, of, of flying, though I haven't flown a whole lot. I love the window seat. And just being able to look out from there, and you think, wow, as the sun came up, we're flying from west to east, and of course, because the earth is a globe, uh, as we travel from west to east, the the, the, the daylight is prolonged, and we're, we're, or it's, it's shortened, sorry, on the way there, it was prolonged. It was this really, really long sunrise, because we were flying from east to west, but on the way back, it was short, and every, you know, I, I was taking some pictures out the window, and you look away and you look back and it's, it's different. The light is different. And it took on this beautiful pink glow uh, as, the, as the dawn began to, to light the, the upper clouds and the, and the earth below was still in relative shadow. You think, wow, such beauty. And yet this is a fallen world. What must that new creation be like? God didn't mess up when he created matter and thought, well, I'm not going to make that mistake again. We'll just make everything out of spirit next time and we won't have this mess. No. It was always his intention to be glorified in this way. And one day there will be a perfection in creation that we will witness if we are in him. For unto the angels hath he not put in subjection the world to come whereof we speak, but one in a certain place testified, saying, What is man that thou art mindful of him? Or the Son of Man, that thou visitest him, thou madest him a little lower than the angels. Thou crownst him with glory and honor, and didst set him over the works of thy hands. Now here it seems like it's talking in generalities. This is talking about Adam pre-fall, pre-sin, made head over the creation. But then the writer of Hebrews, through the intervention of the Spirit, changes tack, and here he says, Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that was not put under him. But now we see not yet all things put under him. If God is so powerful, why is evil and sin still active in this world? Why does it cause so much damage and, and havoc? I don't know, but God accounted for it. And somehow all of this, all of this mess is still under the sovereign hand of God, though we don't see exactly how yet. And that is exactly what the writer here says. But now we see not yet all things put under him. Now he explains, but we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. For it became him, or it suited him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons unto glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. If you think about a sports team, the captain of the team is often the very best player one of the top players, and has the ability to to rally the team around him, provide insights and leadership. But he's still one of them. He's still a player. He's still part of the team. Here we see this reflected also in what we learn about Christ. It's not that he became removed from us. He is now bringing us with him into glory as a man. I think our prayers are often... Um, impeded because we have a wrong concept of who exactly Christ really is. He's still, indeed, a man. If you were to some, in in some miraculous way, to be given a vision of heaven at this very moment, you would see strange creatures that you wouldn't even be able to describe. Read the words of Ezekiel or Isaiah, even, if you want to uh, try to wrap your head around that. I remember looking at old um, medieval manuscripts, illustrated manuscripts, that the monks would, would, would try to put in, into visual form some of the words of, of creation. And it's some really odd looking stuff. These beasts with multiple heads, and the ones with the, the body of a man, all sorts of different features. And they tried to somehow capture this with pen and ink, and they failed. But if you were to go into heaven at this moment, and you were to see there these strange and wonderful creatures that you wouldn't be able to describe when you came back, yet among them you would see one form that you would recognize instantly. You would see a man there, like one of us, glorified in some way. A perfection of creation, but still a man. For both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one. For which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children which God hath given me. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham." Wherefore, in all things, it behooveth him to be made like unto his brethren that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. Do you realize what a triumph Satan worked When he managed to convince church going men and women that the Savior was unapproachable in his glorified state and that they needed instead to pray to his mother. What an affront to what Christ had done. What a barrier to his position as mediator and high priest. Let's not make that mistake. We have a high priest like us in the heavens. This is is something I I do not mean to degrade God down to our level. It's actually exactly the opposite. He brings us to his level. He brings us up to him. But he is still a man. We're willing to understand and accept that God could come as a baby in a manger. But he he still has upon himself the likeness of Adam's race. He is our champion, our captain. The one who stands before us in the presence of God. And one day, the good Lord willing, we will also stand with him. Let's pray to him now in that knowledge, with that understanding. Not thinking that he is somehow removed, different, alien from us. He understands us. No one has any reason to be fearful of being real with God. Especially now now that we have one who stands at the right hand of the Father. May the Lord add whatever was lacking to what was said and may he help us to have a proper conception of how great he truly is. Would a brother please select a hymn.
1: Father, how how grateful we are on this day, not only in this season, dear Father, certainly every day that you've gifted us with this This wonderful son of yours, dear father, who came into this world as a baby, dear father, and lived a perfect, sinless life and performed a string of miracles that are too many to count, dear father, yet one that sits above them all was his ability not to turn water into wine or to raise the dead, dear father, but indeed to change the hearts of men. Certainly a task, dear Father, that no mere mortal could do, dear Father, that our hearts are cold and dark, dear Father, but he, has, he is the only one that can change a hardened, stone-cold heart, dear Father, into one that turns around and radiates his being to the rest of the world. We thank you for the blessing, dear Father, not only of your son, of this season, of our families, dear Father, but we pray that the world sees this, dear Father, and not lets it go by. There is so much that the words we've read today virtually leap off the pages. And we pray that those who are blind will see them. Those who are deaf will hear them. And those that don't want to hear them, dear Father, it penetrates their hearts before their minds. So they understand the same way why he's here, dear Father. Not to to make make bad men good, but to, 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 to literally raise the dead. We thank you again, dear Father, for this day. As we've heard, there is much pain, grief, and suffering in our midst among our brothers and sisters and friends. We pray for all those, our deepest sincerity, that you'll be with them. We know you won't let us go. We thank you again for being with us as we go into this Christmas season, dear Father, keeping in mind what it's for. We pray a blessing on this day, dear Father, on our church in Toronto, and our churches, wherever the word is being preached. And we thank you again for the wonderful blessing of your son and of our own family here. We thank you again in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: For the first hundred years, after our Lord ascended, the early church worshipped Christ as God, but they spoke about Him tenderly as a man. They called Him our Lord, and they willingly died for Him, trusting that when they would shake off this earthly tabernacle, they would join him in their glorified form as he was already there waiting for them. For the first hundred years, they didn't even try to explain these things. They didn't write about the hypostatic union of God and man. They didn't even try to explain the atonement. They just accepted it as a sacrifice on their behalf but they lived and died for him because he was so real to them. Men and women who had never met him in the flesh and yet willingly laid down their lives for this man. Somehow, in the intervening centuries, Satan has managed to cloud that to make Christ seem so much more distant than he was to the early church. I think that's part of the problem that we have. To us, Christ seems too remote, too distant, too unknown, too unlike my sinful self. That's a mistake. That's an error. I think we can see clearly from the scriptures that we've read that was never God's intent when he wrote those words about the type of high priest that we had, he was taken from among his brethren and represented them, even as the the ancient high priest represented the children of Israel in an imperfect way. Hebrews goes to great length to explain how those things were only a shadow, only a, a crude sketch of what God truly had in mind. Imagination and faith are superficially linked. They both have to do with the unseen. But unfortunately, I think we've taken imagination and substituted it for faith sometimes. There are things we can't imagine, so we have trouble believing it. One of those things is the fact that a man could somehow stand in the presence of the eternal, almighty God. Don't be troubled if you can't imagine that. You're not asked to imagine it. You're only asked to believe. Faith, faith sees the heart of the one who put these things here for us to read. And it isn't bothered that reason has trouble following. All through Christ's ministry, Christ was doing these miraculous things. And the commentary there was, and the people marveled. And the people marveled. They couldn't believe it. Why? Because they had trouble imagining it. Christ wasn't after our imagination. He was only looking for faith. And so we have to also this is the way that it pleases God. We must believe that he is and that He's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. For those that are willing to believe, this will be entirely satisfying. And the fact that we have one who represents us as a man before God, who is God himself, in a way that we don't totally understand. For those that will grasp onto that in faith, they will find power in their prayers. I believe that. The early church did. We may have lost sight of it in our, in our day of rationalism and, and uh, materialism. We don't see how that could work. But don't let that bother you. Read the words yourself. Meditate on them. Pray over them and see. This concludes our service. May the Lord dismiss all of us with his blessing. Amen.